Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mr. Brown. Talk Recorded live. Up late, Mace. Now with 100% more. Uh... And apparently 100% less width. Yep. We uh, we don't have a full cast tonight, so welcome to another edition of Up Late with Mace. I am your host, Mace. This it is, is still up, sorry. It is still Up Late with Mace because I'm still here, and Fetty Fan will come back. If neither one of us was here, it would just be Up Late Mace. Um, Unless you choose to define it otherwise. I'm going to dispute you on that because the width implies that I'm the host. Ah, right. It's the audience being up late with you. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, width width is lowercase because it's not part of the title. The show is just the show. Gotcha. The show is just called Up Late. (laughs) So, like, if you retired and Keith took over the show, it would be Up Late with Keith Keith W. Or Up Late with Varias. Because he's at MidSouthCon, so fuck that guy. He's a meat pie. <laughs> of course, with me in the studio is... Uh, who's here today? I am. We've got the Gollics. Hi. And we've got and we've got Petty Fan, maybe. Petty Fan is otherwise occupied. I heard his mom was taking a shower that lasted five hours and used up the entire house. Like the entire house was liquefied? Something like that. <laughs> and shoved through the shower head. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's just an exaggeration of what they, what was up last time. But he's been gone a lot longer than I thought he was going to. Fuck it. Everybody's a meat pie. See, I'm okay with that because I like meat pies. <laughs> Although I guess you can't really enjoy meat pies very well if you are one. So, hmm. Seems a little weird. I mean, I don't know. Whatever works for you. Well, what the hell's going on with you? What? Uh, well, I beat Majora's Mask 3D yesterday, which I believe is the first time I've ever beaten Majora's Mask because I believe that I never finished the original because I never got around to doing the entire Anju and Cafe quest because my parents were butts about how long I could use the Nintendo 64. Um, and the weather has been, let me just put it the way that the, ther- the thermometer mercury has been doing a good impression of a roller coaster. Uh, it's been going up and down by about 20 degrees every day. Awesome. So that's been interesting. Neato. Otherwise, not a whole hell of a lot. How about you? Oh, man. Well, I acquired, and I say this completely unironically, the Final Fantasy Type-0 Day 1 edition a day late. <laughs> which, one is, which one is Type-0 again? It's the one that plays like Resonance of Fate. Okay. 
the one that was originally released on the PSP in Japan, and then we're like, oh, we're never getting that, and then all of a sudden they're like, they're like, HD surprise, motherfuckers. <laughs> well, HD is always nice. Yeah, well, they didn't just, you know, they didn't just do a minor cosmetic facelift on it. They apparently reprogrammed the game from the ground up to actually play on the PS4. Oh, hey, look who's back. Oh, look who's not dead. <laughs> Was your mom taking a shower that used up the entire whatever room you needed to be in? No. I had to clean up the cat, cat litter boxes. Oh, that's significantly less interesting and also significantly less fun. Hmm. Indeed. Neato. All right, well... Uh, so yeah, Type Zero is the one that plays like Resonance of Fate. I got the Day One edition, unironically, on Day Two. <laughs> I never quite got the whole Day One, Day Zero edition thing. You know, the only thing that I'm aware of that's different from the standard release of the game and the Day One edition is that the Day One edition comes with a playable demo of Final Fantasy 15, which I'm just not sure if I give a damn about this. Mm. I've heard it actually looks much better. Well. It certainly looks way better than it did before, but uh, some people are actually... Uh, the concept of a uh, road trip in a car with bros has uh, been growing on them. And I mean bros in the sense of people who you are close to in a fraternal manner, not uh, douchebags. <laughs> yeah, because then it would be riding in cars with dude bros. <laughs> Wait a second, do I even wear fedoras? All right, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I found my iPod. I can do the podcast. I found my Zoom. Does that mean I can do the podcast now? No, you're fired. Get out of here. Pretty sure Aww. owning a Zoom is grounds for being banned from life. Pretty much. But I like my Zoom, even though I don't use it much anymore since I got a smartphone. Ruby. I, I forget. Did they ever actually get around to changing the Zoom so you could actually buy things and own them on them? You know, yes. I, yeah, largely because I don't even think Microsoft offers the Zoom anymore. <laughs> they do not. No, just because that was one of the big dumb things with the first Zoom. It's like Apple says, "Here we have the iPod. That's like the next best thing to all the free file sharing you were doing until people started getting caught for doing it because it's illegal." And then Microsoft says, uh, here, here's this slightly less aesthetically appealing thing that, uh, well, you can rent songs on it and play them three times, and then you have to rent them again. <laughs> Sounds like Divix. <laughs> of which, interestingly enough, I actually have a Divix DVD player sitting in the bedroom. It's connected to my old CRT television. Because mm. that's about the only thing it's good for, is okay, playing... It, it, it's good for playing DVDs that were manufactured in, say, 97. <laughs> Sadly, my player was never unlocked, so I can't go and, and just for shits and giggles, buy supremely cheap Dipix DVDs off of uh, eBay. Yeah, because Lord knows, I want to, I want to own Ro the movie Ronin in 4x3 aspect ratio with barely stereo sound. Oh, yeah. That's by far the most round-numbered aspect ratio. <laughs> yeah. That was, I mean, Divix was such a joke. It wasn't even high definition. 
the sound quality wasn't that good. I mean, honestly, LaserDisc was superior. I'm still not even sure exactly what DivX is, except for the fact that I some, think some fan subs that I watch, have watched use it. Ah, uh, that's different. That's the codec DivX that co-opted the name. The, ah. The, um, I, so I, you're I, saying that's better than the thing you're talking about. Oh, yeah. The, the, original, <laughs> the original DivX format was this thing that uh, Circuit City back in the day did in collusion with, uh, with uh, movie companies to try and A, stem the rising costs of video purchases and B, tap into the rental market. So what DivX is, is it's basically a mediocre quality DVD that you play once and then you have to rent it ever after. Or you could play it several times, but you had it for like three or four days. And it had this little tiny writable area on the disc that the DivX player would basically notch with a laser. And if you didn't pay for continued viewings of it, it basically became a coaster. Would it have to be connected to the Internet or? Well, it had this special phone line service that was discontinued in 2002. Okay, so connected to much worse than the Internet. Pretty much, yep. It was basically like <laughs> the early TiVos. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was great. You, you'd buy it, but you see, back then, DVDs, you had to buy them for like 40, 50 bucks a piece. So they were like... Thing, and they hadn't figured out that they had to sell it for cheap because it was cheap to make. Right. So you'd buy this, you'd buy a DivX disc, and it was like five bucks. And then if you wanted to see it for another three days, you'd pay another five bucks. Some people latched onto this, but it was pretty much dead in the water. <laughs> for reasons that should be apparent to everyone. Yeah. So when my parents bought their first house here in Tucson, they uh, the previous owner threw in as a bonus a kind of rinky-dink home theater system that had a lot of old technology in it. And the DVD player that was the centerpiece of it was an old Zenith DivX player from Circuit City. Sadly, he never got it unlocked. Like so that, it doesn't actually work. It, it works as a DVD player, but ah. that's about it. And it plays everything at very low quality, and it's extremely old, so a lot of the encoding is, shall we say, out of date with MacroVision's current standards. About Sounds the, like a win for everyone. About the only thing I've ever been able to get to play on it are some of Jamie's anime DVDs and uh, uh, a old copy of Fargo that I found at Bookman's. <laughs> it was actually... Anime in the, Fargo. Yeah. Anime Fargo. Yep. Well, it was kind of cool. Well, and a copy of Waterworld that I found also at Bookman's in the junk. Uh, they were in the, the old jewel case style DVD cases and then the original cases which were like, they had like solid plastic, black plastic piece on one end and it slid out of mm. clear plastic cover. <laughs> I have experience with many of the older varieties of DVD casings because I used to resurface discs at a library. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I have a couple of old ones to play on, and I keep it around for shits and giggles just because I say, look, it's got the original DivX logo on it. <laughs> See, the, the new DivX standard is capital D, lowercase I, V, X, and then capital V, X. And the original one was just DivX, which was like, I can't remember if it was like digital video disc extended or something. 
or digital video extend or I, I can't remember what the standards were. I'm sure that if there was some great electronic encyclopedia like place that I could immediately go and look it up that we would have the answer to this cosmic question. But alas, the fun in that, right? But alas, such a place probably does not exist. They could update it regularly, and it could be called something like Weeklypedia. This is why I'm not allowed to talk by myself for extended periods of time. (laughs) Don't worry, I've got your back. (laughs) Uh, I don't think I really... I I just had some fun acquisitions. Like, I found... uh, In the housewares department, I actually found a old... A static corporation ham radio microphone. It's that could be fun. Yeah, it's a vintage piece. They originally released this model. What the hell was it? It's the D one hundred four, and it has a dead man switch on it. You hear that clicking? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to hold it in order to talk, and if you let go of it, you can't talk anymore. And uh, it's kind of cool though because this is quite vintage. They made these if I'm not mistaken, between 1933 and 1974. So at the earliest... So it's somewhere between old and really, really old. Yeah. Well, based on the stand that it's sitting on, it's got that old kind of brushed metal look that you'd Mm -hmm. expect to see from electronics from like the, the 30s and 40s. So probably on the older end. But it's in absolutely cherry condition. And what's cool is the microphone unscrews from this base, and I can actually use it. It's an old crystal microphone, so it has high impedance, which uh, reduces static Mm -hmm. when you're communicating over ham radio. But if I were to plug it into the cable that I have here for this microphone, it would work with my M-Box. So it's it's a pretty neat little find. And I got it for about 10 bucks. And I found that they are selling for about eighty to ninety dollars in this rough, in this approximate condition on eBay. So I was pretty happy with that. Sounds it's, like a good deal. It's the kind of thing, and Jamie gets mad at me for putting these things in the box, but it's the kind of thing that's going in the box for you know when I have a studio office and I need a display case full of cool vintage stuff that I'm going to impress prospective investors with. I can totally understand having wanting to have one of those. Yeah, it's it's effectively it's effectively a broadcaster's microphone, and actually there's adapter kits that I can get that I can actually leave it on the stand with the dead man switch, and uh, and run it through my M box without actually short circuiting it. Is this one of those ones that's kind of hexagonal looking, or no? This one's round. Uh, if you look up the uh, Astatic Corp, it's A S T A T I C. Uh, model D-104, it comes up right away. D-104? D as in dog. Oh, okay. Don't worry, folks. I heard I heard B as in boat. Ah. And then I have... Oh, yeah, that looks really nice. Yeah, and then I have the uh, T-U-G-8 stand. T as in Thomas, U as in Underwood. G is in green. 
number eight. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, it's a very attractive piece. So. Also looks a little bit like a shower head. A little bit. Don't worry, folks. Not in a bad way. Yeah, don't worry, folks. We're not going to spend all night talking about my ham radio microphone. Bunch of nerds. <laughs> I do have some audiobook stuff to talk about, uh, so we may as well start the begging. The uh, Indiegogo campaign is up to $340. Which is a large number of money for some purposes, but not a large number of money for funding a audio book. Right. We still need about $1,500, folks. We're only about 23% to goal. The good news is, is that we're over the 20% hump, so yay. Also, we're like three-fifths of the way to where the Kickstarter would have been. Pretty much. So that's good. Sort of. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that we got over the hump. I mean... The the problem is we've now basically tapped out friends and family. <laughs> uh, I still have some friends. I still have some family and coworkers I can try to shop it around to, but um, like I said, I don't have a whole ton of pull with anyone. There are there are some alternative perks that I'm working on. If you if you read the stretch goals and and updates that I've been working on on the site, there is some extra things. So uh, we're working on that. I should also announce now, uh, I've decided that I'm going to tell one of the last stories of Admiral Cobalt and Naraya Solis's romance from 25 years ago. Ooh. 25 years before the story or 25 years ago in real life when you were starting on it or when you were earlier in it? 25 years ago from the story. Okay. So Solis was a very young 30-year-old commander and Cobalt... Oh, this is one of those science fiction things where people get to be young forever or for an extended period of time. Yeah, pretty much. I thought he explained that. Uh, not explicitly, but it basically goes without saying. I was just surprised. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I told everybody on this podcast that people in the 30th century lived to be, live without any kinds of drugs or enhancements to be at least 200 years old. If you did, I missed it, but I believe that you did and I wasn't paying attention. Okay. So, yeah, when Solis was about 30 and Cobalt was still in his 50s, <laughs> Um, they had a torrid romance together when they were serving together as captain and first officer, which is what makes, which is what's fun about the, the Admiral Cobalt and command years is, is they have this kind of awkward sexual tension that, you know, sometimes, sometimes they touch each other inappropriately. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) Yeah. There's people like, Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. You guys, yeah, you guys gonna. It's, <laughs> is it gonna be on Frilly Pink sometime? Uh, I don't know about that, but I did have a story idea between Malaya and El Delinaria. <laughs> so what's gonna happen is, um, for those of you who've known me for a really, really, really long time, I used to write Star Trek and Robotech fan fiction. 
I got to tell you, I did not, I had not heard that before, but I am completely, completely shocked to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one Star Trek fan fiction got turned into the Mercadian affair of the Starship Moonhawk saga. And it was, it was fun. It's a, uh, it's actually, it's actually a good storyline. It just, really didn't need to be told in the Star Trek universe. And so, and so I adapted it, and it became its own thing. Now, on the other side of things, I wrote this epic post... Uh, what was it? Post-Robotech 2, The Sentinels, post-New Generation storyline on a dare. Because some jackass that I knew at school didn't believe that it was possible to write good Robotech fan fiction. (laughs) And I realized that when we get rid of Admiral Coulson, and he will be gotten rid of, oh yes, (laughs) Cobalt is going to need a new nemesis. And so this special story that I'm going to write is going to be called... Starship Moonhawk Zero. Zero. Yep. It's as far back in the storyline as I as I'm willing to actually go. And the next year is negative one? Pretty much. <laughs> That's about the tall and short of it. <laughs> That's kind of a problem that comes up in fiction sometimes is you like write this is the definitive beating of this and then you realize that shit there was a lot of stuff that happened before that. Maybe not with the same characters, but it's like would be cool to tell the story and you have to go like and be like Well it's and zero story. is usually the first time you do that. Yep. And then there's usually still more before even that. Well it's actually it, the book is just gonna be called Starship Moonhog Zero. And it tells it tells the story of it, it goes back to the two decade war when Cobalt and Solus were were Solus were serving aboard the same ship together. I have a choice of names, and I'm willing to I'm willing to solicit suggestions from the audience right now. I narrowed the name of Cobalt's ship from back in those days down to one of two famous Greek names. Either it's going to be called the Thermopylae or it's going to be called the Demeter. So we get to have an impromptu little vote right now. Um, As to which I'm think throwing is the a blank on what, on what either of those names Thermopylae is, ba- is the place where the battle from 300 happened, yep. I believe. Yep, and and Demeter or Demeter is the goddess of this. She's the goddess of grain and growth and stuff. She's the one who, when her daughter got kidnapped, there she made winter because she was sad. Yep. Mm. I mean, she's pretty badass. She's Zeus's older sister, so I mean, all of Zeus's sisters are technically older, but. So yep, we'll be uh, we'll be soliciting ideas on that one for which one we think is more appropriate to Admiral Cobalt's personality. Technically, both of them are entirely appropriate, but uh, what I mean, do they do the thing where their ships are name of a class are named thematically, or 
Sort of. The uh, I, I haven't actually decided what the um, I lost my train of thought because I'm fucking around with the plat with the rubber seal on my phone case. <laughs> Always a noble endeavor. Indeed. Um, I haven't I haven't decided yet. I'm just trying to decide which one rolls off the tongue a little better because you know the, if if we name it the Thermopylae, then everybody has to say, well, obviously it has a crew of 300. Am I right? You'd get complaints if it wasn't, I think, but I don't know that that's reason not to. 301, and then one of the dudes get killed off immediately. Right. <laughs> he falls down the engine core. <laughs> Oddly, he was Persian. <laughs> Oh, Persian Persian names. There's some pretty cool Persian names. <laughs> we got a face home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm inclined slightly towards Thermopylae, just not because of the 300 joke, but because it seems like an easier thing to do more of. Yeah. Like it's easier to come up with different... Uh, different places or battles than it is to come up with other Greek goddesses, because there are only so many of those. Oh, I don't know. There's quite a few lesser goddesses. I mean, there's Artemis, and the, there's... Uh, there's Pretty Ar- sure Artemis counts as an Olympian. Huh? Pretty sure Artemis counts as an Olympian. That doesn't make them less of a god or goddess. <laughs> no, it means not lesser. There are like six six Olympians, depending on how you count Hestia. I thought there was twelve. There are twelve. Half of them are female. Oh, I get what you're talking about. This is what happens when I sit here and fuck around with my phone, and I'm supposed to be paying attention to stuff and things. Well, we have at least three, four people who are not us in the chat. Any of you guys have strong opinions about Thermopylae versus Demeter Demeter? I'd always, I think I'd heard Demeter until, but I'm not sure if that's actually right. When I was going, when I was going through uh, Honors English, they uh, when we covered the mythology section, they said it was Demeter. Well, I am not going to debate your teacher person from English because they probably know better than me. Well, that, and I know there's a book title called Demeter's Wake out there. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think one of the things is that fairly recently. It has come in vogue to worry about spelling and pronouncing Greek names appropriately. Oh yeah. Like the wrong way that was really popular for our time. Usually based on Latin, like that's where Hercules came from. Mm-hmm. We having a ter- Heracles spelled with a K, mm-hmm. in the incorrect Greek way. Huh. Or Heracles. I don't know. Well, let's see. Uh, there's a non-profit American chapter of Demeter International called Demeter USA. <laughs> no strong opinions? I don't know. 
Okay, yeah, there are six Olympians if you count Hestia, five if you count Dionysus, who are female. All right. Well, anyway, type zero. Type, uh, type zero. I'm getting I'm getting caught up in the game I just bought. Uh, Starship Moonhawk Zero is, is going to take place. Uh, I've, I've basically I had this epic storyline that I that I wrote for my Robotech fan fiction, and it was called Robotech: The New Voyages in honor of uh, Space Battleship Yamato: The New Voyages. Mm-hmm. And uh, the basic storyline of the original issue zero of that was that the returning Jupiter division. Um, Why is it always Jupiter? No, you know what? Jupiter division already came back at the end of the original series. It was the, I believe it was the Neptune division. I created a fictional Neptune division and the lead character was, uh, was an Admiral. And of course, Admiral Hunter was still missing. And, uh, there, they arrived back on Earth to find out that Admiral Hunter was still missing, and then some lunatic fringe guy who was possessed by protoculture flowers uh, had left behind a doomsday device that he needed to shut off. And uh, because our Admiral character got in his way, he swore revenge upon him. Because... Starship Moonhawk Zero is supposed to be a prequel story that leads to Admiral Cobalt's new arch nemesis after Admiral Coulson. Uh, who then is just not part of the series for a while, but then comes back to be the arch nemesis after the character who's his arch nemesis at the beginning of the series right. uh, bites it. He, it di- he disappears for a long time, and then he shows up again and steals some new super weapon I know it's like the Moonhawk itself is a super weapon. So, you know, how can there be a more super, super weapon? Well, trust me. Clearly, clearly it's an enormous space station cannon that shoots Moonhawks. (laughs) Any reference to the galaxy gun is intentional, but cannot be proven. (laughs) Um, So uh, he basically steals this other ship and um, in the in the original version, he was looking for in the original version he was looking for a very he was looking for a Genesis pit left behind by the Invid Regis, one that basically controlled time and space and would allow him to get unlimited power. Mm. I can see. I, I admit, I am not as familiar with Robotech as I am with Macross. So, the stuff after the Macross saga, I'm a little bit. I was aware that Protoculture got turned into some kind of vegetable power source. Basic, uh, basically, but the flowers of life basically were like. It was kind of like the equivalency of tachyon technology, where if you contain the tachyons, they generate almost limitless energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the protoculture, basically, these flowers had such a drive to reproduce that if you contained that uh, reproductive power, you would get unlimited power. Makes sense. So if you stopped them from reproducing by suspending them in some kind of energy field, 
or some kind of some kind of field, they would give you endless power. And so everybody in the universe was basically after this, not only the technology but the 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 crops themselves. So we're going to work. So we're going to work on a variation of that. Um, I'm going to reintroduce some lost characters, and uh, we're going to have a great time. The only thing I haven't determined yet is since this storyline, since the second part of this storyline takes place in what I call the after years, which is after Cobalt gets kicked up to Sector Command. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he gets his third star and he gets kicked up to Sector Command, and so Lisa's in command of the Moonhawk. He has to come back to the ship and go and and go on this quest to stop this madman from basically causing time and space to collapse in on itself. So, uh, but since it takes place in the after years, which is the ongoing comic series, then I'm not sure if I'm going to do it in book form or if I'm going to do it as a graphic novel. Graphic novel would certainly be more expensive, but if I do it in book form, it's going to be a five-book set. Yep. Because each chapter of the comic version of this storyline was roughly 30 to 40 pages of comics, which if you go into descriptions is... If you go into a descriptive storyline and I expand it and I mature the storyline to my modern standards, these books are going to get pretty hefty. Yeah. If I did it as a single volume, it would probably end up being somewhere between five and 700 pages at least. And I like keeping Starship Moonhawk somewhat bite-sized so that way... uh, people's attention span doesn't wander too much <laughs> because sometimes really huge books i mean it's all well and good if you're like one of those big fantasy authors who somehow managed to write billions of pages of i know it's but, ridiculous uh, plus i don't <laughs> plus i don't want to die in the process of writing it like george R. R. martin will probably end up doing before games of thrones is done and who's the one that did or was going to or almost oh, did robert jordan died while writing the wheel of time yeah, that's one. I think that's one I was thinking of. I think he got to book like nine or ten out of out of a twelve book series, and uh, the the writer that took up the series says, "Oh, there's enough material here. I could make this fifteen, sixteen books easy." And nobody had the good common sense to tell him, "Yeah, well, don't." Pretty much. Because obviously, more books is more money. Pretty much. the The problem is, is that since it's a new writer who didn't really understand the material as well as the original author, um, it's starting to go off the rails. Actually, I think in, it's in, off, no, in noticeable ways. Pretty much, and it's, it's obvious. It's clear that the new writer doesn't really share Robert Jordan's original vision. Although people still love this series, I, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna. I, I, I like, don't knock it till you've tried it, as they say, but. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to get myself caught in a situation like that where I, where I spend an entire lifetime writing this magnum opus and then don't actually do it. Mm-hmm. The What's funny is the fan fiction comic technically never completed, but I did actually write the very last page. I did actually illustrate and write the very last page. So I know how it ends. 
Uh, is it sufficiently cryptic that if someone sees it without the context of the remainder of the series, they'll just go, so, okay, that's great, what the hell? <laughs> well, his entire body turned into fire. That was, that's interesting. That's not normally a thing that you can turn into, but, I mean, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Earth and fire, wind and water. Rah! It turned into fire. Fire is not actually technically a substance. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, he starts becoming a being of energy and then um, one of the other characters that he tormented was, uh, made the ultimate sacrifice. Ultimate destiny? Pretty much. Although that's kind of how the end of Rubicon goes, so that, that's why I'm telling you the spoiler version of this story. It has to go differently, because if you go back to Robotech 2, the Sentinels, Rubicon, <laughs> that's pretty much what Janice M., the robot... Oh, spoiler alert, everybody. Janice M., the robot girl, grabs uh, General Edwards and tosses him into the general... And they basically... She honorably sacrifices herself to uh, to drop General Edwards into the Genesis pit. <laughs> I see. Yep. Thus ending the Sentinel saga. <laughs> Not to be confused with anything from the X-Men. Correct. Yeah, Robotech, Robotech 2, the Sentinels, basically the Sentinels were a group of people who opposed invasion tyranny. <laughs> That's from the Mospeda section, I think? Mospeda. Yeah, Mos, whatever. Yeah, Mospeda. I have never actually seen that series, so I don't know much about it. Yeah, Genesis Climber Maspiata was quite a trip. If you see the original Japanese version, you start to see exactly how unrelated these three series were. <laughs> yeah, they mostly they took the other two and grafted them onto the end of a mostly unchanged Macross, except for they didn't like ruin Earth at the end and they changed what protoculture was. Well, no, they ruined Earth at the end of Robotech. At the end of Robotech the Macross saga, they totally fucked up. Or maybe it was like part of the crew of the Macross that they didn't kill or something. I don't know. Well, like Roy Foker dies in both versions, but his death is not as graphically depicted in the American version. I think it might have been like... I seem to recall something about the bridge bridge crew, but I don't remember exactly what, what it was. All I remember is reading that the Macross saga was the most unchanged. Yeah, it's the most unchanged, but uh, what happened was um, the creators of Macross, around the time they were making Robotech in the United States, released a retcon movie called Macross Love, Do You Remember? Creating an alternate timeline uh-huh. where Captain Grobel and the crew of the Dimension Fortress 1 all survived, and the ship wasn't destroyed at the end. Oh, right, and I think that might be, because some things take that as canon-ish. Well, the original Macross series at the end, Admiral Grobel and the Bridge Bunnies and Misa Hayase were going to commit honorable sacrifice to try and stop uh, the English version was Chiron. I can't remember. I can't remember the Japanese name for. Had these really bizarre names for all the characters, for all of the Centradi characters in the Japanese version. Like the yeah, to make them sound more alien. Dolza, 
was named Bold Blood or something like that in the original it's, version. It's but Bottleser, I think, is the actual like the official romanization. It usually goes with Bedolza, I think. So I mean, they had these really complicated names, and it, try 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 looking up the Meltrandi full names, the female Zentradi. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh man, they had crazy names. I assume Millie is probably the most normal one, and even her, even her, That's, nobody knows that. Nobody knows how to spell her last slash middle name. Yeah, it's like Millie. Everyone who thinks they do is wrong because someone else is equally sure that it's something else. Right. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, this will this will be an interesting conversion because um, there's a number of characters that I transferred from one fan fiction to another and then they st- the there are analogs of these characters if you want to call if you want to call all of my creations of the multiverse <laughs> uh there are analogs of these characters in each subsequent series of Jonah Arts actually appeared in my Robotech saga as such. Same character, same appearance, same name. Less of an excuse as to why he has inexplicable hair. Pretty much. Everybody had <laughs> everybody in my Robotech fan fictions had inexplicable hair. Well, it is an anime. And Macross is actually especially the original series was sorely lacking on that front. Yeah. But if you uh the uh if you go if you go to the period of time in my series that was set in twenty fifty nine, which is I believe where Macross Frontier takes place. I think that's I think that's when Frontier takes place. Macross seven is in the twenty thirties or twenty forties. No, Macross seven is in twenty fourteen. Well, maybe it is in the. It's only seven years because I remember that. Yeah, because Macross Seven is the middle series. It actually takes place between Macross right, I know. It, and it, it, and Macross after Macross and before before Frontier. Uh, well, it's before it, it's before Macross Plus, which takes place before Frontier. Macross Plus is in 2040. Macross Seven takes place in 2045. Well then, fuck it. I no, I just looked it up because I wasn't sure. Wait, which one takes place in twenty forty five? Seven. Uh, so it's between Macross Plus and Macross Frontier. Right. Which I believe takes in twenty fifty something. That makes sense. But yeah, mine, mine took place in twenty fifty nine and. Basically, the SDF three finally had returned, so we had we, you know Admiral Hunter and crew were back. Takes place basically post Shadow Chronicles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although at the time, I, Admiral Hunter gave me a, gave me a couple of double takes. Yeah, well, you know the the problem is is that uh, Shadow Chronicles hadn't come out yet when I wrote this thing. Yes, Frontier is twenty fifty nine, so it's a further eleven years. Or more, indeed. But uh, but yeah, my story. I don't know. It was kind of it was kind of a fun storyline. I kind of made it up as I went along, and I I did keep an internal headcanon straight. I, I spent a I spent about a year researching the material before I started writing it. 
Um, I, I went to great lengths in the mid-90s to get all of the Jack McKinney Robotech novels so that way I could fill in the blanks and make sure that I wasn't contradicting things. Although uh, the end of the circle is widely disregarded now, especially thanks to Shadow Chronicles being the official canon for the, for the quote-unquote end of the Robotech saga. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what the fuck they were smoking when they wrote at the end of the circle, but it is a trip. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, I had this self-insert admiral character. His name was Christian Paladin. I did that completely unironically. <laughs> sure, you did. <laughs> now, no, but now, is that a fitting name or an ironic name? Because really, there is no middle ground with that name. <laughs> he was. He was. He was very much. I can't say I can't say that he I can't say that he fit the paladin role. <laughs> but he definitely fit some of the elements of the Christian role. Uh, so yeah, he was the he was the captain of the SDF five, a ship that was built in the image of the pre, of the original Super Dimension Fortress as reconstructed by humanity. <laughs> And it had all new. It had all new robo technology, and I invented new. I, I stocked it with you know alpha and beta fighters, but I also created a brand new fighter based on the um, based on the fighters from Macross Two, uh-huh. which was set in 2089 or something like that. And um, so it was pretty. It was pretty trippy, and uh, Dana Sterling was his reluctant first officer. Because of her, because of her bizarre background, being half being half Centrati. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. She she faced constant. Um, now she's Max's daughter that they retconned one of the characters in Most Bad into being. Uh, Southern Cross. Southern Cross. Yeah, the Southern Cross section. She was the commander of the the tenth. Armored Tank Battalion, or whatever it was. Yeah, I was just checking because uh, Max and Millie have a lot of kids, but obviously none of them. Not in Robotech. They only have okay. two. In- no, that's what I meant. In Mac, in Macross, Max and Millie have several children eventually, uh, but um, obviously. Right, but they're all adopted Meltrandi in the Macross universe. Ah. Because because it's impossible for humans in Centrati or Meltrandi to crossbreed. Because they change what protoculture is. Right. In the original series, the crossbreeding is possible because of what protoculture is, which is basically the same thing as the humanoids that seeded all the other planets with humanoids in Star Trek, except for... They no, in, in, Robo- they were- in Robotech, they were allowed to crossbreed, but all of, all of Max and Melia's kids in uh, the Macross side of things, in the, in the original Japanese version, are adopted. Really? Because in Seven, they have several biological children. Like they have, they have seven biological daughters and then one adopted one. Really? Huh. I, I, see, I've never caught up on seven, so I don't use it as a reference point much, largely well, because I've heard it's junk. <laughs> uh, it is not. I would not say junk. It has budget issues, and if you're not okay with a song that is just as much band chronicles as it is robot fighting, uh, there you will have problems with it. Uh, but I don't, yeah. I, I don't think you guys have ever been privy to my entire anime library, so we'll just leave it at that. 
let's just say that I used to buy every piece of shit that came my way because it was all that was available in the 90s. Mm-hmm. What I mean is I'll, I'll acknowledge that Macross, had, Macross 7 had significant... It's the one I've seen all of is the reason why it's the one I use for a reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the main characters of Macross 7 is Max and Millie's like, seventh biological child. Right. Well, the, I forgot her name already. Millane. Mylene, yeah. And Mylene. Mylene. I think it's my. I think it's Mylene. It's it's spelled Mylene, but it's pr- my or it's spelled Mylene, but it's pronounced Mylene in the series. Hmm. It's one of those things. I guess maybe partially because it's maybe a Meltrandy name, they go by the name. Also, also Japanese. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> M Y L E N E, but in, the kana is Mylene. Right. Anyway, yeah, she has pink hair. She's 14 years old. Everybody pervs on her and because she's, she's been banned. And in the completely uncensored version, she's highly sexualized. <laughs> I wouldn't say so much highly sexualized as she has creepy fans, and there are some men who are in their 20s probably that are have serious crushes on her. <laughs> but yeah, she does have... Well, like the end theme is... Fairly typical idol singer fair in that it is like her song of her with like images of her mostly naked. <laughs> I'm actually uh, streaming it uh, like not group, not big stream, but for a couple of friends. Uh, it's one of the series I'm showing, and I keep whatever there's something creepy, creepy that comes up is like, and one of the one of the pilots is sitting on my lane who is 14. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but she's half Beltrandi, so it's unclear how they age. They yeah. certainly the age. biology. The biology is strange there because I believe they become adults very fast. Like, Probably like, true. Like a lot of the ones that are still out, like Mylene, like I'm sorry, Amelia, is actually quite old, which is unusual apparently. <laughs> Although she looks like pretty similar in. 35 years later or so so right well it's like it's like the some of some of them were like oh the Zentradi and Meltrandi are like tens of thousands of years old and can live basically like immortal lives and then it, others it, it actually would make sense for it to be both they age fast and can live really long but tend to die young because they were built to be built to be soldiers well, and the other thing that I the other thing that I, I remember was that they're not really born as much as cloned, and so mm-hmm. so you know the that was why it was so shocking when Max and Amelia had children together was because nobody's ever done that before. Right, because well, if they are in if the males and females are in different fleets, I don't imagine they spend much time you know fornicating dating. <laughs> or so. <laughs> I prefer my version. Fornicating. Yeah. On the other hand, Max also apparently is too awesome to age because he doesn't look fifty either. So. Well, yeah. I mean, come <laughs> on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It, it just got. It just got interesting because you know it's like so. Dana Sterling was the cap. Was the first officer and the and the commander air group. 
a lot of the a lot of the personality traits I ascribe to these characters ended up going into Starship Moonhawk. In fact, some of the character dynamics here went into Starship Moonhawk. There was a, a romantic interest between the captain and the and Dana Sterling, and and they had these weird mixed heritages and. People didn't trust the hybrids because they started developing psychic powers. Thank you, Jack McKinney. <laughs> That's one of the things that they did in some of the official Robotech spinoffs. Yeah, in uh, in in um, the Southern Cross segment, it was highly suggested that Dana was becoming psychic. <laughs> ah. Um, and then. In the books, which are the official, unofficial continuation of the series, then um, she, I'm trying to think, because I'm, I'm remember the reason I keep umming is because I, I'm trying to remember stuff that I haven't thought about for almost 25 years. <laughs> but, um, because I stopped writing that fan fiction in 94 about the time I started developing Starship Moonhawk. Fuck, I was two years old. <laughs> and we're talking 1994 here, so 21 years ago, you know, 21 years ago, I was I stopped writing this stuff and started writing serious stuff. I think I wrote one or two more Star Trek fan fiction, fictions between uh, 95 and 96, and that was it. Let's see. I found the complete list of uh, genius kids, or Sterling kids, as the case may be. The first daughter was Camellia because they are original. The second was Miracle. The third was Muse. The fourth was Therese. Uh, the fifth was Emilia. The sixth was Miranda. The seventh was Melaine. And then later they adopted Moaramia. Hmm. Or something. This is also heavily implied or actually stated in Macross 7 that their relationship is on the outs. <laughs> Uh, yes, they have, both have very stressful work lives that when, and when they get time to talk to each other, it's usually because one of them did something that ruined something in the other one's job. <laughs> because Max, you've seen what Battle 7 is, right? It's like a space colony being with, like, that's a ship with a battleship on the front of it. Well, the, like the, the, the front of it is a super dimensional fortress basically dragging a colony ship behind it. <laughs> Right, though the colony ship can self-propel, but yeah. Uh, well, Max is the cat is the admiral in charge of the ship, and Milia is the mayor of the city. Right. So yeah, there's some stress there, <laughs> of the, uh, especially when the vampire attacks start. <laughs> uh, the only reason when the Fire Nation attacks. Right. The only reason that I haven't actually watched this th- series through and through is because I managed to get a bootleg copy of one of the best translations of it, which is done by a group called FX. And I got, I got volume two, and the only th- proof that the volume one actually exists still is a now defunct eBay listing. <laughs> and I can't find volume one, and I don't want to like buy an entire set when I already have volume two of this thing. But they haven't made this set since, like, I don't know, 2006, 2007? Of seven or of the first one? Seven. It, it was basically the entire series in two parts, plus all the movies. 
Ah. And it was on like a, it was on a two volume nine disc set. And it Let was me a, double check some. Oh no, mine is by mine is Central Anime, which is fan subs, I guess. So. Yeah, well, this was a fan sub. This was a fan sub too, but it, it, I'm, I'm told that the FX translation is by far the best. Which is why, which is why it looks a lot more pro than the other ones. I mean, they actually took time to put really nice on the discs and on the interior box and everything. Like they custom made their own. They custom made their own uh, box art. It wasn't just clipped, ah. it wasn't just clipped together shit from you know, pre-existing promotional art. Makes sense. So, yeah, I, I'm resurrecting an old storyline, uh, which is not, like I said, it's not the first time I've done that. I resurrected an expanding affair from... Um, the Zendosians were actually a race that I introduced in my Star Trek fan fictions, and the same with the character Micaiah Paladin and all that stuff. Originally, he was me. <laughs> <laughs> no explanation I'm, needed. <laughs> None I'm will shocked. Be I'm shocked to hear that your character, whose name you still use, basically is self-insert, or started light as a self-insert. Well, you know, when I picked this name for myself, it was common practice on the internet for everybody to use a handle instead of a real name. You know, nowadays, nowadays, I my this is merely my nom du voyage. <laughs> Or the name under which I travel. Yeah. I actually had a couple. I I Technically, the Galax is my third one of those. You know, my first AOL email address was maxmaniac12 at AOL.com. I still have that email address. I just don't use it. <laughs> Time to send AOL. all your spam there, guys. <laughs> send it to a place I don't give two shits about. Woo! And that was because at the time I was starting to dabble into Macintoshes, so M-A-X, Mania, 12. Uh, <laughs> like, Max, Mania, get it? Ha <laughs> ha, I'm so clever. Uh, feeble mind of a 20-year-old. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I resemble that remark. <laughs> I'm too old to resemble that remark. Mm. I don't know. I had some crazy ideas back then, but I had some good story ideas floating around. I, I think if I think if I if I modernize this thing, I can turn it into something great. At least I can say with absolute certainty that none of this stuff is based on a role play scenario. <laughs> <laughs> Not even Peppermint Saga. Not really? Even. That that almost looked like it could be. It could be. But it's because I'm very heavily influenced by a lot of anime that pokes fun at that, especially pornographic anime that pokes fun at that genre. The <laughs> specific example being Dragon Pink. Mm-hmm. Yep. My I'm desi- confused with Dragon Half, which stars a character named Pink, which mistake I made a couple of weeks ago on one of these shows. Oh, boy. Oh, oh no. Yeah, Dragon Pink was hilarious. It was a story... The original manga had the story about this. Uh, this uh, she was a, a thief who opened the wrong trapped treasure chest and ended up being cursed with uh, with some kind of panties that turned her into a cat girl. 
Sure, why not? And <laughs> as a result, because of the, the race and class change, uh, she was relegated to being Santa's slave. <laughs> that sounds right, yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was an anime based on a, a three-part anime that was based on that the series, the original manga ended rather abruptly after the creator disappeared. <laughs> disappeared. That's not good. Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> oh, hmm. or maybe he's out there somewhere. I don't know. I, it's been a while since I read his Wikipedia page, but yeah, he was very. He became he became morbidly depressed. And uh, and the series got extremely dark, and then the publisher canceled it. <laughs> Doesn't sound like something. I mean, maybe not that exact thing happening, but does well, not sound like that unlikely of a reason for a series to die. Well, the joke the joke in the manga and the anime was that this was some kind of JRPG premise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the, I read a vol- I read at least a few chapters in the manga, and very much. Yeah, because they, they had they, they had they like. Have, save and continue screens and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And of course, unbeknownst to our much younger selves back in the day, we didn't know that there was an entire genre of H games. <laughs> At least I didn't... Uh... Well, it is actual hentai, and by the time you get to chapter three, it's fairly uncensored. Like, especially in the in the anime, um, I have found uncensored chat. I have found uncensored versions of this. I was kind of angry because when AD Visions brought it to the United States on VHS, they had did it under this uh, soft cell label, mm-hmm. and apparently they cut the scenes down and censored them very, very heavily. I just remember the chapters that I read had some of, I mean, it was actual hentai still, but they did a lot, some position-based censoring where, like, you don't need the whiteout or... Yeah, as the volumes, uh, as the volumes progress, it, it's pretty fucking bonkers. <laughs> Um, it's like if you look at vol- if you look at episode three of the of the OVA, mm-hmm. whoa! I believe you. I'm gonna shove a spiked thingy into your vagina and make you bleed. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, that's no fun. Yeah, that's what I mean. By the time you get to volume four of the uh, of the manga, it got really dark. <laughs> And the uh, and the anime picked that up. And the whole reason that the the, uh, the snake queen, whatever her fucking name was, was molesting Pink in this way was because she was holding the two pieces of rope that were suspending Santa from certain death. As opposed to just, you know... Yeah. Because... Yep. I mean, I could just like cut your arm off or something, but yeah, it was it was something gross, like like she stuck some kind of snake up pink scooter that not only had spikes eject out of its head, but uh, the venom, the venom made her like ridiculously horny times a thousand. 
Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I could remove your arm or I could eat out your taint. <laughs> yeah, she just shoved, shoved some there's some animated scepter up her cooter that anyway. That is not what you're supposed to use the snake staff spell for. <laughs> And then Santa gets really angry and becomes a blade dancer and shreds evil evil witch slash snake queen lady into little pieces with flying swords. Makes sense. Yeah. All things considered. I'm totally down with that. And uh, no 3CM, I don't know of any other series that is that blatant to be about being ha get it there in a JRPG. So far as the actual literally having status screens and stuff sometimes. Indeed. But I do know there are a lot of other fantasy things that have certain tropes from that, but that's the one that's very blatant about the franchise. Or, no, about the... Uh, not franchise. What's the word? Interface. The intercourse? No, <laughs> interface. There's a difference. <laughs> I think we've successfully spent at least an hour on this show. Are we done yet? Or... I mean, it doesn't have to be. I'm just curious. Is it in yet? No, I just, I, re- I, I, no, I just a few minutes ago realized that we hadn't already turned the show off. <laughs> I, was, I was actually just quietly dialing into the show while you guys were talking about this stuff. Score one for the me for being predictive of thing. <laughs> Is this show over yet? I mean, Jesus Christ, are you done yet? Uh, fun time. I did. I didn't mean you should end it. I just meant I. Re- I just realized how long we'd gone. No, I. I'm just. I'm on. glad you guys put in some more filler because I really did not want to want to end the show on the. And then she got the snake. She got the snake staff with the spikes in its head shoved up her cooter. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well. As, of course, as we said during the show, be sure to check out the Indiegogo. We've got some new stretch goals. Uh, I did want to make a, a quick announcement, but I believe that I have concluded negotiations with Pritio, and if we can get a Patreon started for shipping a bottle, that series will be returning. It will be a full reboot, folks. <laughs> Yay, with good art. Yep, the early days of Tira-chan. Uh, I could never have gotten it off the ground without her. But, yeah, that time's over. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll be doing that with all new art uh, from Pritio. If we can hit the threshold, there's going to be a, the idea is to get a minimum one page a week thing going. And we are going to offer an increase in the schedule to up to three times a week if we can hit our page threshold. So that's going to be pretty exciting stuff. I think we're going to set the initial monthly tier at about 300 bucks just to cover expenses. 
And uh, then anything, then we're going to, I believe we're going to increase it in $200 increments until we get to three. Then anything after that, we'll get bonus sketches and other fun stuff. And that also means that even though Ship in a Bottle will start its reboot at one time a week, up to possibly three times a week, it's going to game looking for Frilly Pink, which, by the thing, <laughs> I know you don't believe me, but it is. Well, it's certainly still there. It hasn't really done anything recently. Um, you know what? But I yeah. uploaded. I uploaded last month's pages, and then I I ended up waiting so long for the third one that it's like it's one of those things that when the mood strikes me because of how much I work. Ah. Uh. Well, yeah, that's understandable, I guess. Which means that it this month... you have a lot of other stuff on your plate. Well, it just means that this month you're going to get a Mochaccino Gang update. <laughs> so, if you remember, it's going to be fun. Yay. Apparently, in this, in this episode, uh, Luca is going to get nailed. Ooh. That sounds fitting for the plot. Yep. <laughs> is the safe word harder? Uh, I actually at work the other day I said man is it hammer time because you really nailed it (laughs) (laughs) I got some alright so yeah be be sure to take a look at and contribute to the Indiegogo we still have 51 days left in the campaign uh, we do have some pretty substantial stre- stretch goals listed. And, of course, be sure to be looking out for the Patreon for Ship in the Bottle because that will be coming very soon, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, actually. I just need to put together some artwork and make the page look pretty and all that good stuff. Uh, we still have, miraculously, over a 1,000 page views a day. I don't, know how the, I don't know how the fuck that worked out. But uh, until next week... Hopefully with 100% more Keith and Dark Excalibur Wolf, this is your host, Mace Paladino, saying thanks for listening, kids. This is the part where the end theme should go, but we don't have one. This is also where the ending should actually be happening. <laughs> yeah, Ogre had trouble getting the recording to start on Fragments, but it worked to end it. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.